Good morning. We've been going through Malachi, and I was telling the first group, like, this is a really good sermon series, because in these conversations that the people are having with God, I see myself so much in the things that they're saying and their reactions toward God and how they look at God. You know, I will say this, God literally, he is our great coach, because what he's trying to do is he's trying to get, whip us into shape so that we become more and more like his son. That's the best kind of coach we can have, is becoming like Jesus. Remember, Ezra was preaching last week, and one of the things that, you know, in that conversation with the people, one of the questions they were asking God is, why? Why do the evil people prosper? Why are they prospering? Where is your justice? If you're a God of justice, where is the justice? And it's so funny because how often do we find ourselves saying the same exact thing? We look at what's going on in the world and saying, God, where are you? Where is your justice? Why does it seem like evil people are getting away with these things and they're prospering? And what God was doing last week in the scripture, he was telling them that justice is coming. Justice will always be served because that's who God is. God is a God of love and he's a just God. He's a righteous God. That justice will be served and it will be served in the person of Christ. Here's what's amazing. How hard our hearts are toward him. And yet God, even in the midst of our hardness of heart, is still bringing his son Christ. Despite how we treat him. Because it's not based upon how we treat God. It's on his grace. That's the point of the gospel. It's God's love and it's God's grace. And it tells us a lot about who God is. If you can just take that right there, that tells you a lot about God. And what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at another aspect of God's character in this conversation that we've been walking through through the book of Malachi. And here's what I want you to walk away with, and here's what I want you to see today. God desires to bless us. God desires to bless us, but it's tied to our obedience. God wants to bless us, but a lot of it is tied to our obedience to what he calls us to do. And my hope and prayer is that we would be moved to see and to respond to how God has blessed us already, how God desires to bless us, and we would respond and be obedient to what he's calling us to do. You guys, let's start off with prayer this morning. Let's prepare our hearts and minds as we dig into Scripture. Heavenly Father, the great thing about Scripture, God, is sometimes it's not always what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. We pray this morning, God, please prepare our hearts, please prepare our minds to hear your word this morning, Lord, and what you have to say through Scripture, Lord. And help us to ask the question continually, God, where do I fall short? What do you want me to do, God? How do you want me to respond to what you're saying right now? And help me. I need your help, Lord. Jesus, live your life through me to help me to live this way. We ask this and we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, we're going to be looking at Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12. Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12. And I want to start off just by looking at the first two verses. So we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. It says this, For I, the Lord, 
do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? For I, the Lord, do not change. This is an extension of what God was saying last week. What God is basically saying is, I am the same as I have always been. And it's for your benefit that I am the same. Why? Because you would have been consumed. I am faithful to the covenant promises that I have made. I will not abandon my people. I am a God whose love never ceases and whose mercies never end. And the best way to see that is you have not been consumed yet. Why? Because you continually turn away from me and don't listen to what I say. You don't listen to the statutes that I've given you, which are for your benefit and for life, and yet you still do not listen, and I haven't consumed you because I still love you, and my mercies never end. Remember in the wilderness, you turn from me and you complain. Remember in the book of Judges, you complain, you turn to other gods, and you began idol worship, and you began to spiral downward, yet I continually sent judges to save you. And now I've just told you I'm going to send somebody else to be your savior. You have not been consumed because of who I am. And we're called to remember that. Just by hearing that and seeing that, they should have been moved to be obedient, to see his love and his mercies for them. And yet they still find it hard to be obedient to what he calls them to do. You know, I think that's probably one of the biggest things in my life that makes me the saddest in my relationship. As much as I've seen God in my life and work in my life and his love, I find it so easy to still turn away from him like that. It breaks my heart, but that's what sin is. As much as I've seen him work, I turn away so easily. And what God is saying is, I've given you my statutes, not for my benefit, for yours. And you don't listen. You still don't listen. God is faithful regardless of what we do and how we respond. The whole idea of repentance, what he's saying in this scripture right here is turn to me. That's the gospel. Turn your heart to me. Turn away from your sin. Turn your heart to me. And when you do that, I will return to you. It's repent. That's what repentance is. That's repentance. But repentance is not something that we just do one time. Repentance is something that we do every day, multiple times a day. It's one of the things I talk about with the guys that we meet on Thursday morning. We look at, I literally all day long, and I have to go to God and say, God, you know what? I just failed in this situation right here. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. Help me. Help me respond to my wife in this way. Help me respond to this person. Help me respond to my boss this way. Repentance is a daily thing. And what God is saying, if you turn your heart to me, I will return to you. And yet, they still have to ask the question, but yeah, but how shall we return? Do they not know? Has he not told them enough times how to return? And yet, they still ask the question, yeah, but how? How do we do this? They still don't understand how they're called to respond and to return to him. It's about the heart. Because that's the very thing that God is doing in these next few verses right here. God is responding And God responds by starting with their heart. This is what it says in verses 8 and 9. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. 
But you say, well, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God says, you want me to tell you how you can return to me? Stop robbing me. Stop robbing me. Why does God start here? I think it's really interesting because God transitions from talking about the heart and now he says, stop robbing me. You know, for many of us, money is an idol and our hearts are turned toward money. You see, that was the problem with these people, with the Israelites, with the Jewish people. Their hearts were more geared toward the money. You know, I think back to the conversation that Jesus had with the rich young ruler and he says to Jesus, remember he says to Jesus, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, first of all, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. So basically, you calling me God? And he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he says, yeah, but I've kept all these from my youth. He says, yeah, but there's still one thing that you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And Come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. You see what Jesus was telling him? Yeah, you've been doing these things, but the kingdom of heaven is not about doing things. There's still something that you lack. Your heart, which should be turned to me, is stuck on something else. Go and sell your possessions. Go and sell the very thing that your heart is attached to, and then come and follow me, and then you will have eternal life. But he went away sad. You see, what Jesus is showing us right there is it's the heart. The heart is attached to the money. And that was why the rich man had trouble turning his life to Christ because his heart was towards something else. You see, the purpose of the tithe was literally, it was an Old Testament concept. It was a requirement. It was a covenant that God made with his people. Your first 10% of your crops, of your livestock, You're going to go, you're going to bring those to the temple. Those are going to go to feed the priests. They're going to go to the Levites, and they're going to go to feed the poor. This is what you are required to do, but it also is a way to mark God's ownership of everything. What they were doing was they were giving God back 10% of what already was his. And what he's saying is, you're not even doing that. You're stealing from me. You're stealing from me. The sin itself... Is basically looking at God and saying, I don't believe that you can provide for me, so I'm going to keep this. And that's what he's saying to them right there. Everything belongs to God. And they neglected it because they didn't trust in him to provide for them. And what God says is, as a result, you are cursed. You know, the interesting thing is I um, had a conversation with Scott Jackson, and and many of you know Scott Jackson. He's one of the elders here, and and Scott had served as a pastor of a church for many, many years. And I was talking with Scott, and he said, you know, the biggest areas that I see disobedience in Christian are two areas. Number one is baptism, and number two is in giving. And as he was saying that, I was like, oh my gosh, those are the two areas that I struggle the most with in my walk. Number one is I struggle with baptism because I was like, I just don't want to get wet in front of people and like have to share anything. I didn't want to do it, so I'm not going to get baptized. And God had pushed me and pushed me. Finally, I was like, I need to get baptized because that's what Christ calls me to do and what God has called me to do. So that's the first area. The second was in giving. 
And this was a fight. You know, Jacob wrestling with God. Me and God wrestled many times. I'm surprised like all my joints aren't out of place right now. But it's like I fought with God numerous times. It was easy to give money when I got a check for $100. To give $10 is nothing. I started working in the corporate world. I started getting a check for $1,000. Whoa. There's an extra zero on the back there. Let's talk about this. Let's just see, you know, God, I, you know, and I would make every excuse and to try to justify. Well, giving can be in so many different ways, you know. I, I went to feed the homeless a couple weeks ago, right? That's giving of my time, right? And God was continuing to convict me. Why? Because I had made money the central to my faith. I would look at how much money I had in the bank account, and that was what my faith was based upon. It wasn't trusting in God. It was trusting on what was in Commerce Bank, and I'll never forget, this is when we were in the theater. Never forget, Friday was a payday. Comes that Sunday, and I had to, I was writing a check out, and I was so angry. I was so angry because I had to write this check out. And I remember God saying to me, it's not about the amount. Your heart is ugly. Ugly. And I remember always saying, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. I was anything but, I was miserable because I had to give. I was not a cheerful giver. And I remember for several weeks, I didn't give anything because I couldn't give it from a right heart. And I was angry and I was miserable because my life was attached to the money. And I didn't trust God and I didn't take him at his word. It was my heart. My heart was ugly. And the question that we ask is, yeah, and if you see yourself in this, the question is, how do we change? How do we change from this? And that's what God says in verses 10 through 12. He says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field sh shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God says this, you want to know what you're called to do? Do what I tell you to do. Respond to what I tell you. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Literally, there was a room in the temple. Bring your tithe here and do what I've called you to do. And when you do that, watch my faithfulness. Very often in Scripture, we are called not to test God. But what he says here is, test me. Watch what I do. Watch how I respond to your faithfulness to me. And he says, and if you do that, and he's telling them specifically, I will open up the windows of heaven and I will rebuke the devourer. Remember, this is an agrarian society, right? He says, I will bring the rain that you need and I will rebuke the locusts that are eating your crops until there is no more need and the vine shall not fail to bear. Your faithfulness leads to blessing. You know, the interesting thing is, this is so much of the message what Christ said all the time. What happens when we listen to what he says? We are obedient to what he says, right? We had a sermon of several weeks ago about the seed being planted in good soil and what happens as a result. 
what happens as a result when we hear and we respond and we do what he's calling. And it's not just about material blessing. It's about spiritual blessings too. You see, that's where I struggle because I was all about, Lord, if I give this money, how will I see this money back? It was like an investment opportunity for me, right? Because it was still showing my heart. God, show me how are you going to bless this back? Am I going to get more money? Because, you know, you hear those stories on TV where it's like I gave to the church and all of a sudden this check for $1,000 showed up on my doorstep. I don't know who it was from, but yes. And I realized I, I didn't want the spiritual blessings. They weren't as attractive to me, but I realized the blessing in giving. When I began to give, it began to free me from my money, but I also began to see God's faithfulness because the most important thing that I saw as a result of my giving was Him, was my relationship with Him. And what God says is, see, tithing is a covenantal obligation. They were in a covenant with God, and He says there was blessings and curses attached to their giving. What he's saying right here is that when you give, others will see it and will call you blessed because they will see how God responds to your faith in what he calls us to do. What he's saying in these six verses right here is when your hearts are right and when you give generously from obedience to what I've called you to do, you will be blessed abundantly and overflowing and people will see you and call you blessed blessed. God desires to bless us abundantly. The question is, are we obedient to what he's called us to do in our giving? Are we obedient? How does God bless us? When I look at the life of Christ, I see it. You see, the pattern in this scripture right here is you have a heart for God. I give generously out of obedience, and then I see the blessing. And I see the blessing that he provides. That was the life of Christ. Christ had a heart for God. Christ gave generously because he gave his life. And as a result of what he gave, we are blessed abundantly. When we know and receive the free gift of salvation from Jesus, he lives his life in us. And we have eternal life. We have fullness of life. We get to know our Heavenly Father, which is the very reason why we are created. And we have that joy and peace that only He can bring. And what we're called to do is now allow the Holy Spirit to live in and through us, to change us into the image of His Son and begin to be obedient to what He's calling us to do. We follow His example in being obedient and giving generously. And when we do, you will see God's faithfulness to that. Test me. Test me. Jesus shows how to balance. You see, it was Jesus that said to the Pharisees, woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect the justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What Jesus is saying is, yeah, you know what you do? You take every little herb and you take it down to the 10% and you give, but you neglect the justice and the love of God. And what Jesus is saying is, yeah, you should have been tithing, you should have been giving generously, but not forgetting about the justice and the love of God. You see, that was my problem. I had no love of God. I had no love for God in my giving, and my giving in my heart reflected that. And what I did was I said, Lord, help me, because this is an area where I struggle. I am struggling mightily in this area. I just don't trust you, God, to provide for me.
I don't. Sometimes you got to get real honest with God. That's what, you know, I talk about in the praying life. We get honest. And I'm like, God, I'm, I, I am robbing you. I don't trust you, God. I don't trust you. So what does that mean for us? Well, let me give you these four takeaways. Number one, giving is about the heart. It's always about the heart. It's between you and God. But if you have to ask the question, how little can I give and still please God? Then your heart may not be in the right place. If you have to ask us. I love this quote by Reverend G. G. Campbell Morgan. He's a reverend in England. He says this. He says, sacrilege, which is this idea of taking something sacred and violating it, is centered in offering God something which costs nothing because you think God is worth nothing. What it literally means is this whole idea of sacrilege is basically when we go and we offer God something that hasn't cost us anything because we basically look at God and say, you're not worth anything to me, God. That giving costs us something. And if this is you, the first thing that you can do is repent. Turn your heart toward God and say, Lord, forgive me because I don't trust you. I don't trust you in my giving. And what we're doing is we're giving back to God what's already his. It's not ours. This mirrors God and the gospel because it was Jesus that gave his life. It was God that gave his only son because he had a heart for us. So the first thing, giving is about the heart. It starts with the heart. The second is giving is not just about the amount. You look in the New Testament, oftentimes we try to look for amounts. But what you see in the New Testament is often no specific amounts, but you are called to give as you are able. And it speaks more about the benefits of giving. That when we give our tithes and offerings, that we should be doing it from a pure motive. We do it as an attitude of worship. That's often why we say that. It's a, it's a way, an expression of worship. But it's also a service to the body of Christ. Let me explain this to you guys. And this is one of the benefits of being on staff. There is a lot of stuff that we do for people in the church that we want to bless people and walk alongside people that we do because you guys have blessed us in your giving. We at the church are stewards for what you give. And we've made a commitment as a church to give above and beyond what the law says, right, which is 10%. We want to give way more than that to other organizations and walk alongside to people who are in need. And the way that we do it is from what you give to us. So the more you are responding and the more you are obedient allows us to be even more obedient in our giving too. It's the service. And what Paul says to the Corinthians in his letter, he says, we should give generously, we should give freely, and there should be a grace of giving, which literally means love always does more than what the law says. What that means is my goal is I want to get above 10%. Because if the law says 10%, love says that I should do more. But that's between you and God that you need to work that out with him and through prayer and say, where in my life, where in my life, God, can I cut out some things so that I can be more generous to you and what you've called me to do and be more obedient to what you have called me to do also? I should pray and seek God's wisdom on this. And understand this. You see, Jesus explained this when he was talking about the, the, the widow who gave those two small copper coins. Because what Jesus said is, he's truly, I tell you, this poor widow has more than all of them. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty and all that she had, 
to live on. Jesus sees when we give. And he's more interested in your faith and your motive of heart than simply the amount because the value is based on what it costs the giver. Jesus doesn't need our money. And what he says is when you give, you know who benefits? That's why Jesus said in the beginning, that's why God said in the beginning, I gave you those statutes and you don't listen. This is for our benefit. When we give, it is for our benefit. And the widow challenges our mindset that says, when I get more money, that's when I'll give. She shoots that down right there because she gave out of a lack of what she has. Whatever we give, when we do it from a right heart, God sees it and he's pleased. We're called to be good stewards. And I'll say this, if you've decided to make Riverside your home and where you're going, you're called to be a good steward to Riverside. And God says, test me on this and watch what I do in your obedience to what I'm calling you to do. But you got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. The third, so giving us from the heart, it's not just about the amount that we give out of obedience and the blessing that comes with it. Why do we give? Because God said, if you're obedient to what I call you to do, watch what I do. Watch how I bless what you do in your obedience, in your giving. I struggled with this one. You know the interesting thing? Is I believed all of God's other truths. I started to get to a point where I believed all those things. This was the one that I was like, God, I just don't believe you. I don't believe that I can live off of the rest that I give. I just don't see it. And it took me some time, but the Lord helped me to start and begin to move and to move up from there. And that's what we're called to do is we're called to be obedient because of the blessing that comes with being obedient to what God has called us. And lastly, is we give out of love. If it's about the heart and we give to God, it's a reflection of how we see God. And I want to just end it with this story right here. It's a story that I read. It's about a woman who talks about when she was five years old, she went to a garage sale and she found this, these orange like lily, plastic lilies in this green velvet pot. And she talks about how uh, she bought it for 25 cents. And she says, when I got home, I dusted off the plastic and I wrapped it in a ribbon and I gave it to my father. And I said, I presented it to him as a gift. And she said, you know, 20 years later after he died, she was going through his stuff and saw his desk and saw the pot still on his desk. And she says, you know, I remember the joy of finding that pot. And she said, I remember how hard it was for me to give that pot away to my father. But I remember the expression on his face and how he said that he'll never get rid of it. and He'll keep it on his desk forever. And she says, you know, a thought that, that occurs to her now that didn't occur to her then was, she said, the quarter that I used to purchase the flowers was his. She said, I borrowed the quarter from my dad to buy him the present. She said, technically, he bought himself an ugly desk collector. (laughs) She said, but it was a five-year-old sacrifice of love, and it was something that her father held on to his whole life. Everything that we have, 
the ability to think, the ability to move, to praise, and to seek our Father is given to us by a God who wants us to know Him. You see, every time we come here, the shiny quarters that we offer really belong to God. We can't give God anything that He doesn't already own. And we don't give to earn His favor. We give because of the one who gave to us first. How much more do you think your Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Father will treasure our and us as a children's sacrifice in our praise and our obedience and our love and our faith and in our tithes and offerings to Him? We give to God because our hearts are for Him. You have to do it from a right heart. We give to God not just thinking about the amount, but we want to give generously. We give to God because we're obedient to what he calls us to do. And we give to God because of our love for him. Our love for our Heavenly Father who gave everything to us first. Pray with me.